This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to episode 395 of the Yellow Wild Pods. I'm your host Stefan Wolzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-1 win against Mainz, the shellacking in Amsterdam and how the black and yellows will make do without any fullbacks or strikers in Bielefeld. For that and more joins me Matthias Zuck. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? I am recovering Stefan, how are you doing? <laughs> I too am recovering but I'm not sure we both mean the same thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah but. no it was um last saturday morning um i messaged you during Dortmund's game against Mainz, and i'm like oh yeah by the way i have covid and it sucks so despite fully vaccinated household and everything it's just you know sometimes it happens but after almost a week um it's uh It's definitely better than it was, and I'm sure in a few days I'll be good to go. But uh, it does does hang around for a bit, and it is not fun. So if you can do your best to stop the spread, I would greatly appreciate it. Not that it'll do me a damn bit of good anymore. Well, yeah, uh, but uh, I, I still haven't caught it, <laughs> and I very much intend to keep it that way. But I did catch a headache this morning as I woke up and looked at my phone, and I was just riddled with uh, push notifications of uh, all the million players that are injured. So um, that's great. But uh, yeah, let's not overextend you, Matthias, and try to keep this episode nice and short. There's not that much to talk about anyway, to be honest, uh, if you really think about it. So um, let's start with the game against Mainz and uh, that game had a really decent start because Marco Reus pounced on a deflection in the box in the third minute and uh, it was an, a classic Marco Reus strike I would I would like to say and uh, yeah absolutely hammered it into the top corner there was absolutely nothing to say for Robin Sentner and uh, overall I thought that Mainz were rather passive didn't really have much going forward, which uh, I think is all very positive. I think the very first uh, shot they had was by Stach, which was a free kick in the 36th minute, and that was blocked. So, um, you know, obviously they did score uh, eventually, but uh, yeah, I don't feel like uh, Mainz had, you know, that many chances and... Uh, You know, once Haaland made it 2-0 in the 54th minute after this, I don't know, somewhat dubious penalty call. I mean, if you look at it in the uh, super slow motion, uh, I think uh, the, uh, the, the the hand of Wittmer, yeah, extends, the arm extends and does hit the ball. But uh, I don't know if, if you need to give these kind of penalties, but this is world we live in right now and uh, so uh, you know these kind of penalties are given and yeah Dortmund made it to nothing and I was hoping for a clean sheet at this point that they would 
lock all windows and doors and not let mines back in. And I feel like for the most part, they almost uh, managed to do that. But then mines uh, started to press them a little bit harder. And in the 87th minute, Jonathan Burkhardt then uh, pounced on what I think was the very first sort of error by Gregor Kobel. His clearance was not very great and mines capitalized. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, other than that Jude Bellingham had an amazing uh, tackle in the opponent's half, won the ball, passed it over to Erling Haaland. And uh, yeah, it was 3-1 and that's three points in the bank. Dortmund back in second place in the Bundesliga. And uh, that is more or less the game in my view. So Matthias, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on this game, but um, I would have rather won 2-0 than 3-1. I would have enjoyed Dortmund to keep the clean sheet for once, which they still haven't done in the Bundesliga. Um, But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, a clean sheet would have been nice. Um, granted, this time, you know, not keeping a clean sheet, Kobe can kind of blame himself to a degree. I think, but overall, it... Um, I mean, you can still just, defend the error at this point. Yes, you know? yes, yeah. I, it, it's it's a win. Uh, Mainz were, in my opinion, very, very lucky to even still be in this because I think Dortmund hit... The frame of Mainz's goal twice, I believe, um, and really squandered a few very good chances, as is Dortmund's thing at times. Uh, they didn't have a ton of shots, eleven, but um, you know they a lot of very good opportunities, dominated possession, you know, outpassed Mainz. I mean, again, you know, it was definitely a a deserved victory. Bo Svensson from Mainz also agrees much. He said, you know, there's not much to say about that. The first half was just very bad from Mainz. And then to try to make up with it in the final 10 minutes, as they did, just uh, thankfully didn't work out. And it would have been exceptionally harsh if they would have walked away with a point uh, from this match because they didn't deserve it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was great to see Holland scoring. As far as the penalty goes, <clears throat> I personally don't think it's that dubious. Uh, the, the arm extends from the body, hits the ball and changes the course of the ball. To me, that's always a handball. I don't care if you mean to do it or not. It's, uh, extending from your body. I hate the penalties where a guy's arm is like tucked into his body and he's just trying to not touch the ball and it does touch him. And those penalties are given. Those are the ones that really drive me nuts. This one, I was like, had it been the other way around, I would have been like, yeah, okay, of course. You know, that's that's a handball penalty. So yeah. be it. Um, I think we've seen significantly worse decisions when it comes to handball over the last few years. And what is this, like the third or fourth year in a row that the handball penalty or rule has been changed? I honestly am not 100% sure what it is right now. But, <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't... And I tweeted it as well. I mean, you can argue about the penalty, but you can't argue the fact that Dortmund deserved to be 2-0 up at that point. So, you know, I, I don't have any heartburn for that. And I don't think Mainz does either. Bo Svensson got a booking because um, he sarcastically applauded the referee, the referee who I thought did not have a great game. 
And he got the booking and he admitted, yeah, no, I totally deserved that. I think he kind of knew he was going to get it. But uh, overall, no, good good game from Dortmund. Good victory, three points uh, against a team that can be difficult ever since Bo Svensson took over. Yeah, that's true. Rosa said, I think the first thing he actually said at the press conference was that uh, Dortmund did not expect Mainz to be that passive in the first half. And um, I thought Dortmund did uh, find good solutions. Um, I really liked the tactical ploy of having Julian Brandt sit very far on the right. And uh, he was a really good passing outlet. Um, obviously, uh, what also really helped is that uh, Dortmund uh, at times uh, overloaded the left half space, something we saw a lot from the Tuchel era. And then pass it over to Meunier, who then has a lot of time and space to pick out a cross. And uh, that worked pretty well, especially considering that at times Mainz had a a backline of six players. And uh, Dortmund still managed to find space, managed to keep possession. And if they lost it, won it back rather quickly. Mainz didn't really have too many outlets. They couldn't really hold onto the ball much. So in in many ways, um, I thought there was a good performance with the good tactical decisions that Dortmund made and uh, deserved win. In the end, I think Rose said it himself that uh, once Dortmund made it 2-0, that uh, Dortmund made things way too difficult for themselves. I mean, Mats Hummels could have scored that one header too. sort of came off his shoulder and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, those are sort of the positives. The other positive is that there were uh, 63,812 people in attendance, according to the official count. And, uh, you know, you could certainly feel it. Uh, it was a nice moment when uh, Bellingham and Haaland, after the game, ran over to the Zoo again and uh, rocked the stadium one more time. Those are obviously the images you live for as a fan and uh, love to see it. But, uh, you know, there are a couple of things that irked me a little bit. And uh, one was that Haaland did even have to play this long after coming back from injury. And now uh, that we know that he's going to be out for several weeks and we don't know one, you know, how long that will be. Um, it irks me even more. Uh, Rose explained that he wanted to take him off sooner, but uh, didn't feel like he could because Haaland is so strong at defensive set pieces. And I think that's something I actually mentioned myself on the Yellow Wall pod, um, that uh, one of the major Haaland improvements is that he is one of the most capable set piece defenders that Dortmund have right now. And uh, I, I guess the coach agrees. And um, while, while I understand... That sort of thinking, I also feel like uh, it's it's not a good idea to play Haaland this long. And um, if we switch over to the Ajax game, that uh, Haaland was even still on the field when uh, Ajax made it 3-0 or 4 uh, was kind of baffling to me, to be honest. I feel like uh, he should have come off way sooner. Uh, I don't even know if he came off in the end. I don't think he did. So, um, yeah, that's... That's poor management in in uh, my view, you know, especially since you should learn from the past a little bit because the last time, I don't even know, was it around the same time of the year when Haaland missed four, five, six games and Dortmund sort of tanked and Favre got fired? Um, this can obviously happen again and uh, is something that I'm 
gravely worried about since it's not only Haaland that is injured right now, but I think eight players right now that are uh, valuable members of, of the first team. And if we look at the schedule, obviously Dortmund now play Bielefeld, who are in 17th place in the Bundesliga. That should be a winnable tie, even without Haaland and all the uh, injured folks. Uh, then it's Ingolstadt, who are, I think, uh, last place in the second division right now in, in the cup. But then you play against Cologne, who are a very tough opponent, even though they just got selected by Hoffenheim. Then you have to host Ajax, uh, which is not easy. And then you play against Leipzig, Stuttgart and Sporting. And uh, if you even look further, uh, you know, there's Wolfsburg and Bayern on the horizon. So uh, you really wonder how long Haaland... Uh, will be uh, injured and if it's too long Dortmund season can really take a downturn which is a shame because right now at least in the Bundesliga they, they sit in, in second place and uh, are gradually improving a little bit so to me that's very annoying um, Matthias if we switch over to the Ajax game uh, what are you making of this 4-0 drubbing? Well, one, Ajax are really, 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 really good. Um, I do watch a fair amount of Eredivisie um, because ESPN Plus does carry it. And I'm always, you know, every time Ajax play, I'm like, ooh, I wonder if anybody's going to stop them. And the answer is like, ooh, no, they're not. Utrecht, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ajax so far this season has conceded two goals domestically. Three. Two. Three oh, now? No, yeah, two. I thought it was two. I don't know. I think it's two. You're right. And and that's um, that's not a lot of goals to concede, Borussia Dortmund. Um, you know, it, they are impressive. They are well drilled, well oiled. What I don't like, and this is less about the match itself, but kind of the reverberations afterwards, was the the analysis of. Oh my God, look at how horrible Dortmund is and always ignoring how good Ajax is and almost being surprised that Ajax is good. Let's not forget, this team was like moments away from being in the Champions League final just a couple of seasons ago with a much younger, less experienced squad. Um, so Ajax are definitely extremely good. Beyond that, Dortmund, looking at them... Yeah, it was, it was, I, it seemed naive. I mean, the beginning actually wasn't that bad. I thought after the first five, 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, this is an open, high tempo game. This could be really interesting, playing to Dortmund's strengths. And then it didn't, um, and not even a little. Even though Dortmund did have chances, uh, the XG is surprisingly close, and Holland had some great opportunities that he squandered. Dortmund just seemed a little flat. They seemed a little tired, way more so than Ajax, who have it much easier. It's kind of like Bayern, you know, week in, week out, Bayern have it a little bit easier. And so when they have to play during the week, they don't seem as tired as all the other teams that have to fight every weekend. <laughs> and maybe that was part of it with Ajax, because, I mean, they, they, they're walking the Eredivisie right now. And Dortmund's plan just, I mean, if there was one, it didn't work. Uh, Witzel and Brandt, there was no center of the pitch. I mean, there just wasn't. They were completely manhandled. And then Dortmund's left side was, yeah, uh, Nico Schulz got owned 
by Anthony. I'm, he may even wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night <laughs> uh, with nightmares of what was done to him. And then Emre Can came on and I went, you know what? Nico Schultz actually wasn't doing that bad of a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would have been better, in my opinion, to bring, to bring, yeah, to bring Emre Can bring, in, bring. Hello. in the middle. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, at hindsight being what it is, keep Nico Schultz on and bring John well, in for Brandt. I, th- I think his but muscle fibers tore. That's, that's true. What, that's well, I mean, you could have done... When you saw that Emre John was getting owned... Yeah, just just, may, just play Schultz on done crushes. It's fine. Or or Dong Azad at left wing back. Switch to a back three. Something different. And it seemed that Marco Rose was also overwhelmed by what was happening yeah. and at some point just kind of went you know what screw it it's done it's over there's no chance there's nothing we can do to change things right now i disagree with that i think if he would have switched to a formation that i'm sure you're going to talk about in our preview of the bundesliga match in terms of hey maybe play with these guys in this type of formation uh maybe that would have done something against ajax at least made them more accountable on the wings. But yeah, it was, Ajax played really well. If Holland would have scored one or two of those goals, I don't think it would have changed the end result of an Ajax win. And it shouldn't have. Ajax were better. They completely deserved the victory. I mean, there is no hard feeling hard done in this one. It was Ajax won by being better than Dortmund and not just because Dortmund didn't play well, but Ajax just played exceptionally well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And this is my assessment too. You know, Jordan Hunt uh, DM'd me <laughs> and basically said, I'm hoping for a big rant from yourselves and hopefully Matthias. But I I already told him, like, I you know, I just sort of accepted the fact that Ajax right now are a team that's extremely well coached and uh, Dortmund are just not they're on, on, on the same level where Ajax are. And that's absolutely not surprising because A, Dortmund have gone through a million coaching changes. And uh, if you play like Ajax does, then there are certain key factors that need to happen for you. And uh, I think the first one is very important, that's health. You need to have uh, a very healthy team because... Um, if you want to play this sort of pressing style, which, you know, Ajax played a very intense style. And if you want to play that, you need to have your key players healthy on a consistent level because uh, the most important factor of this playing style actually are automatism because uh, we we still know it from the from the best years of the Jürgen Klopp era and, of course, from the Tuchel era and then, of course, uh, you know, not so much from the from the Bosch era because uh, by then Dortmund players just weren't ready, didn't have the squad um, to to play this kind of pressing style anymore. Um, But uh, yeah, you need to have uh, a consistent starting eleven or at least a consistent core of players uh, that know each other and know exactly what to do and where to be. And uh, I just accept the fact that uh, at this point in time, Borussia Dortmund as a club and as a team just cannot replicate such cohesion. It's just totally impossible to me and uh, time is one reason health is another factor but I also think um, the squad that Dortmund have just does not allow them to be this cohesive 
And I think you were quite on point when you mentioned Witzel and Brandt because both of those players, to me, um, will never help you to play in a, in a cohesive way uh, as Ajax did. You know, obviously, the entire problem that Dortmund has is that they're a bit tired right now and, uh, you know, if Dortmund press, it's half-hearted. You know, it's one of my major criticisms that you have three, four players maybe that press, but the rest of the team doesn't push up high enough. So uh, you give and afford players like Ajax players outlets. And uh, if a team like Ajax has a very good position play, they will just find options and then they will just crush you. And that's exactly what Ajax did. So... um you know, Julian Brandt is not this sort of pressing player, even though I think in the press conference said that he played under Ruger Schmidt and that for Leverkusen he knows exactly what to do. Um, but I disagree. If you see him play, I don't think he's aggressive enough. And at the same time, he is not a good enough ball handler I want him to be or imagine him to be because he was mucked a couple of times in uh, very awkward situations where on that level you just can't afford to. And uh, with Axel Witzel, I think the story is similar, but still a bit different. It's, it's just that he is not fast enough to be this kind of player. You know, it's just the same debate you can have about uh, can you play a very aggressive style with Mats Hummels at the back because you need to push up so high as a collective and the lack of pace obviously means vulnerability there. So um, as much as I want to rant about all the things that Dortmund got wrong on that day, I think we should just appreciate how darn good Ajax are. And I think there are not many teams right now in European football that can replicate this kind of cohesion. Obviously, there are other teams that have individual better players. Um, but as we as Dortmund fans know very well, if you have this... Um, unit on the field that really hunts the ball and then plays quickly. It doesn't even matter how good your players individually are if you uh, have this sort of uh, uh, yeah momentum on the field. And, uh, you know, I almost sat back and, and enjoyed what Ajax did and uh, did not concern myself too much with what Dortmund were doing because they were just out of their depth. And um, I think in this context, it's a good thing it happens because uh, it really glaringly shows what you need to improve as a team. And I hope that Dortmund can uh, take this sort of blueprint almost and uh, try to fix things. But it's nothing that will be fixed overnight. I think this is a development that will take a season uh, if you even ever get there. Because getting and replicating what Ajax is doing is probably one of the hardest things to do in, in football. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a system that's been around for almost for over 50 years. I mean, the system of Ajax yes. has been that way since the early 70s. But you can play so, this way in a different system. Yes. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I mean, just the, the cohesion. If you think back to those Barcelona systems, you know, I mean, that's one thing like Pep Guardiola or Jürgen Klopp do so exceptionally well is yes, they also have a ton of money in, in the teams that they have, but the dominance they exert just when that system, so to speak, gets to rolling is truly, uh, truly phenomenal. Um, and like you said, you don't have to have the best squad in the world to be able to replicate that and do that well. I mean, uh, that's been uh, definitely proven time and time again. 
ähm, Adi Hütter and Eintracht Frankfurt that first season when the you know the the three three they had up front and that whole system just beat teams up and and it it works and Dortmund's just not there yet and how can it be with with the uh, amount of injuries that they have and you can't forget there are so many players at Ajax that have been playing together for many many years I mean Dusan Tadic he's been there now quite a while and he was a dominant factor and for me getting back to the lineup put together and this is where I will put it at Rose's feet you know I understand what he was trying to go for with Witzel and Brandt but one of those players should have been Emre Can I'll be honest um as a box to box presence together with Bellingham because Bellingham was alone and lost most yeah, of I the think time Jean-Paul he was Witzel completely would have isolated made, probably made more yeah. sense actually yeah because yeah. You, still, you still need the um the ball distribution by by Brandt because Witzel usually obviously is Mr. Play it safe, but if you're being pressed the way Witzel is, uh, was pressed, um, he also struggled in a way. That doesn't mean that Brandt wasn't struggling, but I think uh, he at least has a bit more uh, dynamicism to him that can maybe help him uh, alongside Bellingham and, and John. But uh, yeah, I, I I fully agree with you. And what we saw, in my opinion, is how important Mahmoud Tahut is. Yeah. Because he does exceptionally well when pressed. He also presses, counter-presses very well. And if you can take someone like in that Vixel, Vixel, Vixel position, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip right there, uh, and where Mahmoud Tahut sits, kind of that deep-lying playmaker role, You have someone who's pressing resistant, who can press and distribute the ball really well, you know, also into the channels, which Witzel can't do. Witzel is decent at playing at this point. He's 32 when the ball and the play is well ahead of him. If he has to turn, you're toast. It's done. And and uh, that wasn't the case three years ago, but that's where it is now. I mean, we can't forget he's also had at least one major injury in that time. And you start start to see that at this point. And Emre Can being played at left back, let's just not ever, ever do that again. I mean, he looked exceptionally out of place uh, playing there and very uncomfortable. And so, yeah, he should have done much better. Um, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth goal where... You don't have to be a left back to just be able to jump and challenge a header. Yeah, against Alia. Uh, yeah. That was the fourth, I think. But that was yeah, and that was that was just bad. That was that was pathetic all around. That was also where Brandt lost the ball in the middle of the pitch. And it it just kind of summed summed up. Yeah, there were the so many mistakes in, in that entire goal. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. I mean, this, you, you can talk about this one Hummels header that was sort of cleared in to to the middle. There were there were just so many mistakes, but um Talking about players that sort of don't fit, I I feel like in, at least in this game, um, we really have to talk about Daniel Malen because I was really disappointed by the performance he showed, because it wasn't only that he was almost able on the offensive side of the ball, but then when uh, you know he wasn't involved with the ball, um, he also didn't really track back much, and we just talked about how Schulz got owned and Emre Can later too. And I feel like this is, um, you know, also uh, symptomatic of, of Malin's performance because um, 
you know, I, I think he got subbed off in the 53 minutes and like one or two minutes before that there, there was just a moment where um, I don't even know who it was. Might have been... Uh, I don't. I don't know who it was, but uh, you know that there, there was a there was a, a player by Ajax who started, you know, behind Marlin, and you know, in the end, ran all the way through the box and uh, had had a really good chance. And you know, it, to to me, it's just unacceptable if you don't pick up uh, sort of runs like this uh, in on, on Champions League level. You know, if this happens against Bielefeld, I can maybe just kind of understand, but. Uh, not really. I I feel like uh, if if you if you have nothing else going for you, at least do your homework and you know try to read the game and and uh, make the runs and not just you know drop your shoulders and 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 stop running. You know that's uh, something that really annoyed me and uh, in, in one situation really summed up uh, how terrible and pathetic his performance was. And I really hope that he uh, improves because um, when Harlan uh, when Hazard came on. Uh, yeah, that obviously had a little bit, but now um, I don't want to really ponder too much on on this game, to be honest, because you know we can all agree that Ajax was really good. Dortmund uh, look tired, they're decimated, and uh, just don't have much of a chance against an opponent like this. But even in in this sort of game, um, I think Erling Haaland had two really good uh, opportunities to score. Um, one was saved and sort of deflected to the bar. And uh, yeah, a little bit unlucky, but you know these things happen. You can't expect Haaland to score a hundred percent of the chances he gets. To be honest, even though you sort of low key do. Um, but uh, yeah, let's just move on to the Bielefeld game, and uh, I, I guess the uh, uh, aftermath of the Ajax game sort of trickles into this because a Nico Schulz is out, and uh, I haven't really looked at the at the minute sheet that uh, Nico Schulz has. Uh, he has a torn muscle fiber, uh, same injury that Guerrero has. Uh, in in uh, Rafael Guerrero's um, case, I would say I can sort of understand that. Um, but in Nico Schultz's case, I, I honestly cannot because uh, I'm looking at it. He has played 484 minutes so far. Um, he has played five games in the Bundesliga, but not all over 90 minutes. And uh, I think he was already out with a muscular injury before. But the Mainz game was uh, the second game he played for 90 minutes before it was 8 against Gladbach and then 18 against Augsburg and then 90 against Mainz. So um, <sighs> I'm just endlessly frustrated that uh, players that, you know, don't are German internationals that don't have all this huge load that they get injured too. Uh, obviously, it can be unlucky, but, uh, you know, we have this saying... You know, always luck is skill, and I think if you if you uh, sort of turn this around, if you're always unlucky, then uh, there, there there's maybe something lacking there. And uh, I think if you read the comments under Dortmund's tweet right now, uh, a lot of Dortmund fans are just endlessly frustrating with the uh, uh, medical staff of Borussia Dortmund. And obviously, we are no neither of us is a doctor, and neither of us can really assess what's going on and if everything is being done right. But it's just you know, I just have a bitter taste in my mouth um, looking at all these injuries, especially muscular injuries, where I just feel like things are being drastically mishandled. And um, that's all I'm going to say about this. You know, it's obviously a shame that Meunier is out too. I think that's his toe thing, but I think Rosa didn't really specify it. 
Haaland has a muscle injury in his uh, hip now. So, yeah, this all freaking sucks, uh, especially if you add this to the injuries Dortmund already have with Dahoud, with uh, Gio Reyna, who, uh, you know, might be out for even further. I think Rosa said that there's not really uh, any betterment on the horizon. So um, this is uh, really a shitty situation, Matthias. Um, if if you look at the players that are out right now that, uh, you know, are regular players, it's Dahoud, it's Guerrero, it's Haaland. We have Muni out, More is still out, Mokoko uh, is out, Reyna's out, and then Schulz is out. And uh, Zagadou, I guess, is also still out even though at least he's recovering. So that's a very long list. Um, and I'm not entirely sure uh, how this lineup will go. Uh, Kicker is projecting a lineup with uh, Paslak and Jan as the fullbacks uh, <laughs> next to Akanji and Pongracic. But uh, against Bielefeld, I actually, I'm going down a different route. I think Dortmund should switch to a back three with Hummels, Pongracic and Akanji as uh, the back three and then you have Hazard and Wolf as the wingbacks and then you have a midfield of Brandt, and Bellingham and then up front you have Marlon and Royce. Um, that obviously does not leave you with many substitution options. Maybe Knauf can get some minutes. I don't know if Tobias Raschel will be on the bench or uh, you know we'll have some players from the under-23s and under-19s. But uh, yeah, I guess... Your options then are maybe Ranier and, and Tigges. And that's pretty much it. And you better hope that no centre-back falls <laughs> injured. But uh, yeah, obviously it's going to be a difficult trip to Bielefeld, Matthias. So what um, are you even expecting of this game from a tired and decimated Dortmund side? Well, I'm still expecting a win uh, against Arminia Bielefeld on the Alm which is uh, actually a, a nice little stadium, nice little part of Germany you should go visit. It does exist, contrary <laughs> to popular belief. Um, and I, That was actually the last football match I saw in the stadium was an Arminia Bielefeld match. Um, Congratulations. The, <laughs> yes, it was against Bochum when both were in the second Bundesliga. So it's been a, been a couple of years. Um, but... I I think the lineup you suggest makes the most sense. Does that mean that's the lineup we're going to see? I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, Marius Wolf playing at fullback, I totally agree with. I think that uh, that's, whether it's fullback, wingback, I don't care. He should definitely play. If you are going to play with a back four, um, I would prefer to see Marius Wolf as a fullback on the right side. And honestly, then Felix Paslak as a fullback on the left side. Because at least he is a fullback and he's played there. I don't think we should put Emre Can out there. I'd rather see Manuel Akanji as a fullback because he's done it before. And then you've got Hummels and Pongracic. The problem we have is simply backline cohesion cannot exist as long as so many players are injured. Yeah. Don't also, it can, it can exist for the full 90 minutes, my lineup, no. because Hummels has to be subbed off Correct. before. Correct. And and at that point, you maybe you have to drop uh, Emre Can into the backline, uh, which which he's okay at uh, as as a in a back three uh, central defender. And then you put Witzel in, in, in central midfield or something like that. I really miss Thomas Delaney, by the way. <laughs> um, but if we, you know, I mean, Dortmund, they have six fullbacks in their squad list and five are injured. 
I mean, it's not that Dortmund don't have fullbacks. Okay, that that was our discussion a few years ago. Dortmund have fullbacks. They're just all hurt, except Felix Paslak. Um, and and if Felix Paslak is your one fullback left, you have some issues. But I think uh, Torgan Azad and Marius Wolf at the fullback or wingback positions make sense against Arminia Bielefeld. Uh, would it make sense against uh, Bayern München? No, <laughs> but against Arminia Bielefeld, I think uh, that's definitely a doable solution. And then beyond that, like you said, I mean, you can't really have a ton of subs. I mean, don't expect five substitutions or God knows how many in this match because don't, we just don't have enough players. Yeah, they'll bring in some players from the under-23s or under-19s. Uh, Marco Rosa kind of alluded to that. But what are you going to do? I mean, I mean, I had somebody on Twitter suggest, you know, Stefan Tigges start for Holland. Sorry, no, Tigges. Uh, we talked about this pre-pod. If, if Stefan Tigges has the perfect career, he will be a decent second Bundesliga striker. He will, he can aspire to be Simon Terodde. <laughs> Beyond that, he's just not good enough. I mean, the question has to be asked between Erling Haaland, Daniel Malen, Yusufa Mukoko, and Stefan Tigges. Those are the four listed as strikers in Dortmund's squad. Stefan Tigges is the oldest. He That's is right. the oldest of that group. And he plays in the under-23s. So I think that, that says where Stefan Tigges fits in. is 23. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, Stefan Tigges next season, Zweite Bundesliga. Uh, and I wish him the best of luck. He seems like a nice kid. But he is not Dortmund's... Not a kid anymore. <laughs> yeah, and he's not, well, compared to me. Uh, yeah, but yeah. he's not he's not Erling Haaland, um, obviously. But he's he's not going to be that. I, then I'd rather see Ansgar Knauf, which was floated by Rose in the press conference. Which okay, so you have Knauf and Daniel Malen as strikers. No, I like your formation. Uh, send send Marco a WhatsApp message and say, "Don't sweat it, bro. This is what we're going to go with." And, right, and then bank the three points, right? <laughs> well, if it would ever happen that I get to suggest a lineup and uh, maybe even the strategy, this is hundred percent a game that don't will lose. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it's I, you know, if I remember the last game in Bielefeld, I think it was uh, was it one 0 or two 0 where Mats Hummels scored. Um, the it wasn't much of a fun trip for Dortmund. Uh, let's put it this way, and uh, you know, Julian Brandt was sort of raving at the pregame press conference of what an amazing game it will be in Amsterdam and how great the uh, Johan Cruyff Arena is. Uh, yada yada. Um, even though I think for for football romantics like you and me, I think playing in Bielefeld is probably just a great occasion. But I'm not sure uh, it it has the same amount of ring to it for these Dortmund players. So seeing this is an away game against a struggling Bundesliga team that are in the relegation zone right now, and I feel like might have a very hard time getting out of it. Um, this is to me the the classic game where Dortmund usually stumble over their own, you know what's. 
and <laughs> considering how many injuries um, they have and how tired the legs will be um, if Dortmund come away with three points um, I'm not going to be surprised that's probably too far but uh, you know it's it's going to be a struggle game for sure and it's probably not going to be that fun to watch so um, just uh, I guess everyone managed your expectations and if Bielefeld have a couple of good set piece situations. This thing can go south very quickly for Dortmund, and uh, I don't think there's too many things and too many ways Dortmund can react um, from externally from the outside that Marco Rose can can really do uh, if Dortmund uh, are not uh, really clicking. So um, yeah, uh, obviously I want to see a reaction from that uh, loss against Ajax, even though I don't think Dortmund particularly played poorly necessarily in Amsterdam. It was just that the opponent was that much better. Um, and, and by poorly, I mean measured or, or compared to other Dortmund performances. I think they, they played where they usually play, just that they were outgunned. So um, if Dortmund can replicate sort such a performance they showed against Mainz or uh, in, in other games before. I think they should be fine. Um, if they play like they did play away to Gladbach, then I don't think they will be fine. So, um, yeah. Uh, I kind of, if I go for a scoreline prediction, I want to say it's going to be a draw, but uh, I don't really think that Bielefeld are, are, are that strong, obviously. It's going to feel a bit like a cup fight. Um, but uh, Dortmund still should have this one covered, so I'm going to say Dortmund will win this 2-1 to one in a very ugly fashion. What's your prediction? Yeah, I I will concur with that. Uh, Bielefeld will make it very uncomfortable for Dortmund. I expect uh, an, an aggressively low block, um, especially without an Erling Holland there. We've seen these matches without Holland when the other team just just tortoise shells themselves in, or as I like to call it, chicken shit football. Um, then Dortmund, they struggle with the solutions and unlocking them. And as long as Bielefeld can be cohesive and disciplined, it's going to be a difficult one. So, but if they, if they show any cracks, Dortmund will torch them even without Holland. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to yeah I think I think two one is a very reasonable score line. I wouldn't even be surprised if Dortmund are comfortable at two nil and then you know like an 89th minute corner makes everybody pucker up again. I mean the like thing is Bielefeld at home so far in four games have only scored one goal and they've conceded five and so overall they've never scored more than one goal in any Bundesliga game and they're winless so far. So well, that all being well, said, because Frank Kramer isn't a great Bundesliga coach either. So, um, yeah, I, okay, fine. You've convinced me, Stefan. Three zero, three zero. Don't want win. Yeah, I think we play a weak opponent, and uh, we're very lucky to play a weak opponent this uh, this week because uh, you know if we were up against Bayern or Wolfsburg or any sort of team that's somewhat good. Heck, even Leverkusen, uh, this would just uh, be a shellacking again. And uh, so in, in, in this case, Dortmund are, are lucky that they have, you know, two opponents that are not, you know, <laughs> at the precipice of football right now. Um, yeah. 
that that's all I'm gonna say. So if Dortmund don't come away with all three points, I think there's going to be some level of disappointment because even if uh, things are not looking too great and uh, you know we have to puzzle a little bit here and there for the starting lineup, I, I still think in the end this should be a team that uh, should get away th- with all three points in Bielefeld. But that being said, you know it's still Bundesliga football, and uh, unless you're playing in Fürth or against Fürth. Um, you know, the opponents are still formidable. Let's put it this way. So, yeah, with all the that being said, Matthias, uh, where can people annoy you if your prediction was entirely wrong? Well, first of all, I blame you because you talked me into it. Mm. Um, but you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Matthias Uck. Very well. Uh, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can follow all of us at Yellow Pods on Twitter and Facebook if you want to support us financially go to our patreon page patreon.com slash the yellow wall of course you can subscribe to this podcast in all ways and forms but of course it would help us out if you subscribe to our youtube channel that's all for this (laughs) this week i'm really hoping that next week uh, there may be some good news from the uh sick bay and uh, yeah in the meantime as always thank you for listening and goodbye